RNMD is a show about hospital relationships from the perspective of doctors and nurses. You're very smart, and we know that you would never come to a podcast for medical advice. So obviously, call your non-podcasting doctor and nurse team if you need any medical care. Oh, and we should also mention that we don't represent any hospital at all, ever. Okay, start the thing. And welcome to RNMD, a show about doctors and nurses working together in this mad world of medicine. I'm Abby, your nurse host. I'm Laura, your doctor host. Welcome back, everybody. What's up, Laura? How are you? Good. How are you? Did I say doctor? I don't know what I just introduced myself as. This could be fun. So I'm going to a good start, you guys. I forget everything immediately. Like I auto delete every file in my brain immediately. Mm-hmm. I oh, I know. That's why I send you text reminders of literally everything, always. Yeah, and that's why we're friends. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> um, my ADHD knows no bounds. <laughs> we may or may not have a shared to-do list, calendar, email, drive. It's fine. Yeah, we're fine. It, it's fine. We also are both using these, like, what do they call? <laughs> what do you call these? Like this little, they're like the fidget toy popper things that feel like yeah. bubble wrap that are definitely yeah. designed for three-year-olds, but we both have them. I really like mine though. Laura bought me this actually, and it looks like a dinosaur. We should put we should put pictures of these on the podcast Instagram. We're not actually doing like real promo anymore. We're just showing the things that we fidget with. Um, I mean, listen, listen, we do this thing with no commercials or anything. So if if you're here, you're you're in this with us. We're driving this car. You you. We're actually (laughs) we're actually sponsored by this thirty seven cent fidget toy that we got at CVS or something. I don't know. It wasn't CVS. We're not sponsored by CVS. Do not, do not take this as an endorsement. <laughs> I have a lot of it, thoughts it, about CVS actually. Yeah, we actually do. Add That's not the, the episode today though. Okay. Oh wait, but no, I'm about to get fired up, Laura. I'm about okay. to get fired up. Okay. I, I want to hear your joke first. Uh, it's really bad. I, at the beginning of this, before we hit record, I told Laura that I had made up a joke about this for the intro and then I immediately regretted it. And I was like, I'm not going to say it. And she was like, say it. Tell me. We're all All going to shame you if you don't. (laughs) It's so bad. Okay. I was going to say to today we're talking about EMRs. Ooh. And then I was going to make a joke about how the EMR is like my arch nemesis and that it means like enemy medical records never mind i have no i can't i feel like we should have are we recording our faces as well because i just want to play a screenshot of my reaction to that <laughs> of like that emoji that has like the the flat smile the straight line face yeah uh, that was pretty much what just happened all right well that was bad but if you would like to talk about the greek the greek uh, goddess of nemesis the goddess of revenge was that greek i don't actually know she was a goddess she, so we got the word nemesis she's the goddess of revenge yeah, she might be Roman. Hold on. I'll look it up. I Yeah, okay, Google it. But I'm just saying that I would pray to that God. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I, that is better than any Sunday school I ever went to. <laughs> yeah, Nemesis was the goddess of divine retribution and revenge in Greek mythology. Oh, also, what a badass, I am a bitch. huge nerd. Huge nerd. That was like locked and loaded, ready to go. 
<laughs> You're like, let me tell you about Greek mythology <laughs> before we start talking about EMRs. <laughs> We're going to talk about Nemesis and how this is now our patron saint and Abby and I pray to her every night. I'm not joking. This is merch or something, a drawing. Is This is something, Nemesis. We, this we will pray also to be her. on our Instagram. A hundred percent. We pray to her. We love her. She is us and we are her. You're welcome. I saved you from your terrible joke. Thank you. I, re- actually- I really deflected that. <laughs> You really did. You really pulled that one out for me. All right. So we're talking about the EMR today. Uh, Abby's fired up. What are you fired up about, Abby? Well, I'm pissed. I'm pissed about the EMR. I'm going to be honest with you. I hate it. Uh, It's it's a lot of box clicking. It's a lot of extra work. It's a lot of duplicate work. It's a lot of uh, redundancy, inefficiency. It takes me away from my patients. I get in trouble if I do it wrong. And ultimately, I don't think that... I know that in some cases, it does it does good things as opposed to paper charting. Like for the example I can think of is um, the hospital that I was uh, at in nursing school while I was there shadowing um, and doing like a, you know, what they now call a residency. Um, I was there when they implemented their first EMR. And with that, they introduced the scanners for the meds. They reduced their medication errors by 80% by introducing that scanner. So I'm not saying that it doesn't have a place, but I think what it's become is not patient-centered. So I hate it. So I feel like you said our entire episode. Um, this is going to be like a two and a half hour episode and Abby just did it in like 30 seconds. So I'm going to go now. We're done. Um, join, us talk for, more about- <laughs> join us for goddesses that we're going to worship and like a 30 second blurb about healthcare. I'm actually like if you want to do a Greek goddess podcast, I would do that. Like that's actually a real offer. I mean, let's do it. We we also could do a Greek uh, medicine episode, and we yeah, will. Hell yeah, hell we yeah. will do Egyptian medicine because I got that one locked and loaded. Also, yeah. I'm using locked and loaded a lot today. I'm I'm into. I'm it. actually just gonna read Percy Jackson out loud. That's gonna be the entire episode, but I think it could work. It could work. You know, sometimes I just gotta say something. Sometimes I I wonder like who's listening to this and enjoying this content. <laughs> And like, is it just, just for us? Is it just for us? But then I'm like, but people do. I see how many people listen to it each week. And like people are here. So like if you're here and you're enjoying this, like you're you're the same as us. You're nerds and we love you. <laughs> and I'm very sorry you have to listen to us. You don't yeah. have to. You could leave, but you shouldn't because we're funny. But don't. But don't. Okay. But don't. All right. So okay. let's get into it. All right. Okay. Let's talk so about let's, what's okay. You want to do a quick history of the EMR? Uh, as you mentioned, EMRs are new. I'll do it. You you do it. I'll do it. Okay. So EMR or EHR, so electronic medical record, electronic health record, we're going to use those interchangeably. Uh, there's probably a difference. I don't know what the difference is. So we're going to use them interchangeably. So for those, I don't want to say old timers because I'm just young, but... Uh, those older timers who are here will remember paper charting. I remember paper charting from a medical school where I paper charted a little bit in the free clinics and that was about it. Um, mm-hmm. And then everyone else will remember paper charting from uh, EMR downtime. So everyone now hates paper charting. Mm-hmm. Um, but until about 2009, most people, most hospitals were still on paper charting. There was the High Tech Act of 2009-ish, might have been 2008, um, that was sort of like the first federal act that was pushing for meaningful use of electronic health records through like CMS funding mechanisms with penalties and reimbursement uh, implications. If you didn't transition to like 75% ish uh, meaningful use of the electronic medical record. 
Um, that sort of pushed over the, the five or so years from the passage of the act. So pretty much everyone, I was pretty much, I'm going to say everyone, pretty much everyone had adopted electronic medical records by 2014. Um, and I think 2019 or 20 or 2028. So the past couple of years, the cures act has passed, which is sort of the next step in electronic medical records, which is pushing for interoperability and patient access to their medical records. That's the one Mm -hmm. that's been sort of in the news a lot lately of, Mm -hmm. um, patients being able to directly access their medical records on their phone through their portal. There's been a bunch of like hullabaloo about that because, we'll get into this, but people being able to access like their psych records is sometimes problematic because people Mm -hmm. don't always like what's written in their records, even if it is medically indicated. Um, And then also getting access to some of your labs and diagnostics without having like someone there to be like, Hey, this is what this means can actually be pretty harmful sometimes. The context. Yeah. You need the context. Yeah. 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 But then there's, you know, some pushback on that, that, Basically, doctors saying that only doctors can give records or answers is uh, kind of paternalistic, which we'll, we'll get a little bit more into that because I think both sides are kind of true. I, so yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's, and I'm, we've got stories, I'm sure. Yeah, um, big time. But overall, so the past 10 to 15 years, there's been a big push to uh, incorporate and adopt electronic medical records for all hospitals, clinics, basically all care settings in the United States. Um Without getting too in the weeds about it, there are sort of four main EMRs. Um, Epic sort of has the the corner on the market, and then uh, Cerner is second, I believe, and then Meditech is third, and then there's another one that I'd never heard of that was fourth that has 5% of the market. So it's basically these three big EMRs have like more than 90% of the market. Um, as I'm sure all of you know, there's varying degrees of interoperability between each of these, there's strengths, there's weaknesses to all of them. Everyone hates their EMR. Everybody hates their EMR. Like, yeah. Like yeah, you, the, the best you can say is like, this is the least bad version or this has this benefit. But everyone, pretty much, every provider of any sort pretty much hates them. Um, yeah. All of this was sort of, we're going to get more into the weeds on this, but the general structure we're going to take is all of this was sort of designed to benefit patients is the the whole thing, right? That's why everyone's right. on board. It's like, this is going to improve patient safety. It's going to decrease these medication errors. It's going to do all these things. Um, it also has enormous financial benefit to hospitals, which is why hospitals are willing to pay millions and millions of dollars to build out these systems. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's good for them too. Yeah. Anyway, well, so, but right. as we may expect, there might be some downsides. There's some good, there's some bad, there's some yeah. deeply sketchy. We're going to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm really just here for it. the sketchy. I'm doing all of this just I so know. I can talk mad shit Same. about this. Yeah, like, of course. That's that's obviously. our whole thing. Yeah, obviously. obviously. We're just yeah. here to talk mad shit. Oh, yeah. Fuck Epic. Okay, sorry. <laughs> all right. Um, we, got, I will, we got articles. We're ready. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Laura put together this outline. It's so like 20 pages long, and I love it. And I actually read her articles today, so mm. be proud of she, me. We're using red as like a loose term. <laughs> True. That's true. (laughs) Um, One thing real quick I do want to point out, even though that most places have been, um, you know, they transition to an EMR uh, 
record keeping system. Um, there are still some places and especially when you're talking about like a free clinic or something with like a, a problem of funding. Um, there are places that still use paper charting. Um, when I was working at that Medicare Medicaid clinic, um, it, half of it used, uh, an EMR and half of it was on paper and it was mm-hmm. just like absolutely crazy. And especially when we're talking about half of it was OBGYN and we do colposcopies and we're looking for results that could be kind of serious and you can't read it or something spilled on it or whatever. So I, it does have a benefit certainly. Yeah. yeah. And, and that was sort of the same thing for me. It was like, I worked as a med student, I worked at some student run free clinics, which is like, that's going to be a, a whole, whole episode. It's going to be a, a whole, whole other thing. Yeah. But mm-hmm. you know, some of those had, one of them had like a part online free EMR, which I'm still like, I don't really know how that worked, but we're not going to, I like don't remember the details of it. So I'm not going to speculate. And then one of them had exclusively paper charts. And I'm like, listen, for a doctor, I have good handwriting. I like communicate pretty well in writing. And I'm still like, I don't see what the point of me writing those paper notes were. I never saw any previous notes, even if it was patients that had continuity of care there. So Mm -hmm. I'm just writing notes as like almost like an academic exercise. Like it was, there was no utility to the, um, the paper charting there. So I mean, God. Yeah. Oh no. So I was just going to say, so I think kind of what you're saying sort of leads into our first topic, um, or our first, you know, point about this topic, um, which is that the EMR, there's uh, new research that is showing that it contributes directly to healthcare worker burnout. The framework of the EMR was designed as something that was going to be good for patients. And I think in a lot of ways it is good for patients. We're going to get into that in a little bit of like all the ways it does produce these tangible benefits. There are some good things that can come out of an EMR, and I think that's why it probably was initially developed, right? Um, so why don't we hit those things first? Let's let's talk about some of the good stuff. So Laura, give me an example of a good reason for EMR to exist. Yeah, so one of the, the big things that we sort of see in the EMR is that it dramatically improves patient safety in sort of specific ways. Like it increases um, provider compliance with screening recommendations. It reduces medication errors. Um, There's actually really good literature that it reduces disparities between like income groups, ethnic groups. Like it it just sort of standardizes things and it puts it in a very tangible format of like, I, I can see exactly what your labs are. I can see exactly what medications you're on. It sort of increases the accessibility of that information in a way that does improve compliance with recommendations and with sort of standards of care. So there's a fuck ton of articles about this. Like this has sort of been studied into the dirt. So we can drop mm-hmm. a couple of links in the show notes, but we're not going to, you know. I, I'm going to put all this stuff in the show notes. Yeah. Okay. So ch- right. check it out if you want to. The one that um, I found really interesting kind of goes along with what you were saying. Um, so in this study, uh, they found that there was improved blood pressure control for all racial ethnic groups among patients receiving care um, from healthcare providers using both EMR um, and CDS. uh, Which is CDS is clinical decision support tools. So those are like the external brains. It's like the AI it's built a lot of the time it's built into the electronic medical record and it tells you like you should be using this kind of blood pressure medication as a first line instead of this one. You know, it's sort of those nudges that encourage you to follow these guidelines. Okay. That's a really good point that I never thought of, right? When you take, you're, you're sort of taking the, the 
healthcare workers bias out of it, right? You're saying this is what you do for every patient. The computer doesn't know the difference. And I think that's really cool, actually, and something I didn't know about. Yeah, and it's it's done that to a certain extent. There is some sort of ongoing recommendations. Like one of the articles that I, I think I sent you, but one of the articles that I found was talking about how like EHR can be a huge tool to sort of further address the disparities between like LGBTQIA plus communities. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, that is a little bit of a gray area. I don't know if this is a thing that like, was a big issue for you and your, your practice, but um, like a thing that came up a lot in my residency was we couldn't change the gender in the mm-hmm. EMR as from what was assigned on your license or whatever form of ID you gave. So like there wasn't a, it wasn't built into the EMR to be able to provide trans sensitive care. And then right. where I'm at now, it's, that's not how it is. It's the same EMR, but it's a different build out. So you can sort of in- incorporate, um, correct pronouns and all that yeah. stuff. But I guess right. the, the point that I sort of took away about the LGBTQ and I guess you, you could say it for racial disparities as well, but I, th- I think it is a little bit different, um, is, it's only going to be as sensitive as the person who built it, right? And yeah, and definitely. that that's a really good example of the person who built out that first one that you had didn't think of that. And mm-hmm. that's a bias, right? And if you are having people build these, you're going to build in biases in them. Yeah, definitely true. And that's something we talk about in like AI for... Um, like the future of healthcare and diagnosis and stuff is the AI is only as good as the people that built it. Um, and I think this is, this is probably going to be a recurring theme throughout this episode of like, this is something that the EMR can do very well. It can do very badly. And there's a lot of potential for improving it. Right. Um, so yeah, like this is as far as incorporating these, um, like I don't culturally, culturally yeah, competent like determinants. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, like we can incorporate a lot of these things. Like you can incorporate smoking status just built into the EMR and that's going to change, you know, the recommendations of when are you screened for a triple A, you know, like you can build a lot of those things into a patient record that then have a lot of potential to improve the quality of care provided. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, that's like the goal, right? Like the goal is, and I don't want to say the goal is to like computerize and completely standardize all patient care. I think that would probably be not entirely true, but Having a lot of this in a regulated format of like, you're taking the human error out of it and you're like, yes, like you have been a smoker for 60 years. You need to have these screenings versus, you know, a 25 year old who's never smoked doesn't like building that into the EMR does have a lot of potential for improving compliance with these guidelines. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And when you're like, let's go back to the example I have with the colposcopy patients. Mm -hmm. We, we had a system that was first of all, very time consuming and very ineffective, inefficient and ineffective where you have to, um, by state law, notify someone if they have abnormal cervical cells. So you have to send them a letter, uh, if they don't come in within a certain amount of time, you have to send them another one. If they don't, then you have to send them a notarized letter. And then they still might fall through the cracks. 
And, but then it's just a way of covering yourself of saying, look, I documented, I sent it three times. This last one was notarized uh, and, and that's it. And then the patient has lost a care versus if the patient has access to my chart and you can send them a message, you can see that they read it. They are much more likely to schedule a follow-up. They are much more likely to understand their care if they can see it. Um, I, I had um, care at two different hospitals when my foot injury happened. And the one is, uh, not, it, it has an EMR, but I didn't have access to my care. The other one where I had surgery is NYU and they have an app and I can literally pull up my MRIs right now. And like, I can see, and again, you're like, to your point, is that, is that actual, imaging something that everybody needs. I don't know the answer to that. I think there is, especially when we're talking about mental health care, some things that need to be private in the chart. But as a patient, I really appreciated having all of my records on hand where I didn't have to go when I was so sick and I could barely walk. I didn't have to go all the way to the hospital into the basement and, and request and go, you know what I'm saying? It's like a nightmare. Three weeks for a fax or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's like ridiculous. Yeah. And like as someone who's, you know, I'm in the ER. So like it is huge when patients can be like, oh, I had labs done three days ago. Here they are. And I can be like, okay, great. Your creatinine was normal three days ago. I can go ahead and scan you. You know, like right. I think having that access to those records is really important. I think it has huge um, potential for reducing inefficiency in care. And even within the EMR itself, like we are again, this is sort of a hard episode to do because every MR is a little bit different and every build out is a little bit different, but there's getting, you know, there's more and more pressure on reducing waste and reducing high cost healthcare. And a lot of that is getting built into the EMR. So there are tons of different strategies for this and like ways to do it. But, um, you know, you can get pop-ups of, oh, like this person had labs earlier today. You don't need to repeat them. Like I actually get that all the time in the ER because if someone had labs in clinic, they don't show up right away in my view, but I don't need to order them. And the EMR will give me a pop-up and, oh, cool. That just saved $1,500, which the cost of labs is something, a different conversation, but (laughs) oh my god, (laughs) that just saved, you know, a total like duplicate set of labs because the EMR can see things that I can't immediately see from my view and be like, Hey, you don't need to do this. Like, awesome. Thank you. You know, those are helpful things. Yeah. Or if the patient, you know, is visiting from Texas and they're up in the Northeast, like Mm -hmm. they, they can show me, Oh, I had this MRI. I have this disc injury. Okay, great. I don't have to completely redo an MRI just because I live 15 States away, you know? Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I think that is really important. Um, yeah, but then, um, okay, wait, no, I'm not going to, okay. I don't want to get into the bad stuff yet. Okay. What else is good, Laura? One of the things that I actually thought was kind of interesting that I hadn't really thought about, but I have seen in my clinical practice a few times is, um, the EMR is actually starting to build in more price transparency into the, um, like the system itself. So like when I order meds for discharge, like home meds, um, if the patient has an insurance entered into the EMR, it'll tell me which meds are on formulary with that insurance and how much the off formulary ones will cost. So like at one point I had just clicked on the wrong. F- and again, this gets into weird <laughs> healthcare systems issues. Cause I clicked on like the wrong form of doxy or something and it was going to be $600. And I'm like, no, it's doxy. It's not $600. And I like clicked right. through until it was literally just a drop down menu of, I had to find the correct doxy that were all the exact same doxy, but I had to click on the right one. And that one was only $4. Don't wow. get me started on why yeah. it's like that. But like the EMR, yeah. 
was able to tell me like, okay, no, you need to choose this one or your patient's not gonna be able to afford it. And like, that's actually really helpful. Yeah. Um, some EMRs are starting to do that with, um, imaging as well, like tests as well to be like, this is how much this test costs. Do you want to start with an x-ray first? Which there actually is some decent literature that that does influence physician ordering. Mm -hmm. Um, we're going to talk about clinical decision support tools in a, in a few minutes. And I have (laughs) a lot of thoughts, thoughts. some thoughts. (laughs) I have at least three thoughts. Um, so I don't think that's, you know, I don't think that's always like a cure all, but at the same time, I think we've talked before about how doctors don't really know how much stuff costs. So like we're ordering stuff and we have no idea how much it costs. So I think having that built in of like, Oh crap, do I really need to do the CT? Could I do this in like a stepwise fashion and save some money actually is like a really good thing. Definitely. Especially if, and we hear this a lot, our patients are expressing to us that they're worried about the cost of healthcare because they don't have any idea how much this is going to cost. So if you have a patient that's already said that to you, you can be mindful of that. Hopefully when you're going, and I, I feel like even maybe I'm giving people a lot of credit, but honestly, I feel like almost anybody, even if they're like kind of a shitty person would still take that into consideration. I don't think anybody's like, who cares? Just pay whatever. Right. I don't think. And it's interesting because I've had patients ask me like, how much is this going to cost? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what your insurance is. I don't Mm -hmm. like, I I have no idea. So I think, I actually think this is something, it gets into sort of a weird gray area here because like, this is something we could build the EMR to be like, okay, for this person, their insurance is going to pay this much. It's going to be this much. But at the same time, I'm almost hesitant. Like, I don't think that's a fix necessarily, because if I tell you, okay, the CT that I think you need is going to cost you $6,000 and you're like, nope, like, and you, right. and you're just like, no, I'm not doing that. And then you die because. Yeah. How like, about why, want, why, did, why does it cost six grand? Yeah, exactly. That's the, that's the thing. Yeah. That's the thing. <laughs> it's like, it almost feels like an EMTALA violation. Like, you know, we don't tell people the wait time in the ER because if they know it's going to be a six hour wait, they're going to leave and they didn't get a medical screening exam. So like, that's a thing that we don't, we don't ever tell people in the ER. Like it is, it is going to be exactly six hours before we see you. Like, that's just not a thing. And it almost feels the same to me. Like, oh, it's going to be $6,000 to get this CT of your abdomen. And people are going to be like, cool, I'm going to leave. Right. Yeah. It shouldn't be $6,000. Like, absolutely not. That is the fundamental issue here. But at the same time, like, I don't want to tell people like, yeah, are you willing to gamble death versus $6,000? Like that's a shitty situation for everyone to be in. I mean, unfortunately, and this is just something that you and I deal with a lot, right? Is what should be isn't right. What should be isn't. And we are working in this system and we have to navigate it the way it is for now. Um, and we, hope to make change. Um, we hope that others will make change, but until then we have to navigate in this space. And, um, you know, it just, it, it's, it's really, sometimes I think it's a little naive to be like, well, we should just fix, you know, and it's like, well, yeah, we should, we should, I agree, but It's going to take a lot of money, a lot of power, a lot of political campaigning, a lot of outrage and uprising from the public to get there. It's going to take a lot. And until then, people need CT scans. Like, what do we do? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's a hard conversation to have because it's like something that I have sort of taken from a lot of my health policy classes is people sort of hand down these recommendations of like, how are you going to make this better? You know, and it's mostly people who aren't in the clinical setting who are like, yes, we should do this thing. And that's going to change what doctors do. And they're almost always wrong because doctors Mm -hmm. are, you know, obstinate assholes basically. 
<laughs> and I, res- I respect that energy. I say that with love. Uh, <laughs> I, I embody that energy. But um, it's, it's like there are a lot of unintended consequences of the things that these policymakers are sort of handing down. Like the example I gave to one of my professors was like when it was a thing if you had to have antibiotic, antibiotic, antibiotics in within an hour of arrival in the ER, one of my attendings in residency was like, yeah, we used to just put a bowl of doxy at the front door and everyone took a doxy when they came in and we met our metrics. And I'm like, cool. Oh, and now we have antibiotic resistance. Yeah. But you met your metrics shit. because if the only thing that matters for you getting reimbursed as a hospital is meeting your metrics without actually like quality of care or any of the drivers of like actual quality being addressed then yeah, you're going to do shit like that. And like, yeah. it's just, it's these unintended consequences that the yeah. policymakers aren't thinking about. They're not, they're not planning for how wily all these healthcare workers are. Exactly. They're really that's, good at like cheating the system basically. Oh, big time, so big time. I, I mean, okay, I'll give you a nursing example. Um, <laughs> when we're talking about um, med passes, okay. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to use the, the biggest example. Okay. Let's say you're on a med surge floor and you have seven patients. Okay. That is potentially a big med pass for you. Mm-hmm. And your med pass is two hours. And every time you're doing a med pass, you're getting interrupted, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it, it's so difficult to just focus, give your meds and whatever. And we have all these standards that we're supposed to do. You're supposed to go to the Pixis for every single patient, draw out the meds, go to your, you know, your computer, your cow, and then you're supposed to scan the patient, scan the meds, watch them, take them. Okay. But we're talking about a crushing system that doesn't give you an actual two hour med pass. It's not like you, that's all you can devote your time. You're doing so many other things. You're taking admissions. You're doing tons of other things during that time that I have seen nurses who will go to the Pixis, grab a, a couple of, uh, where, you know, the biohazard bags where you take blood, you put the blood into and they'll pull all the meds for the entire shift and they'll put the patient's name on the baggies and shove them in their pocket. And now they're walking around with all the meds for all mm-hmm. their patients for the whole shift. And I've seen people mix them up. The doses, one, one dose, one milligram was supposed to be given at 10 PM. One was supposed to be at 6 AM. They flipped them. I I mean, they gave the one patient's meds to the other patient. This stuff Mm -hmm. happens, but it's all in the service of compliance for the EMR, for the, for the record, for the scanning, right? And their scanning looks right. Their scanning looks correct on paper, but they're not doing it right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And we're dangerously close to sliding into the bad, which I think is going to be a much more fun part of this to record to be honest super fun okay but let's keep a few more we're gonna try to finish the goods we're gonna we're trying to give i'm trying to go there we're trying (laughs) trying to to give the emr a fair shake we're trying to trying to represent it fairly even though we hate it okay um (laughs) you're not wrong though you're definitely not wrong uh drug interactions is a really big one um that's like a really hard thing to keep in your head a lot of I feel like we sort of try to depend on pharmacists to um, verify everything, which is great. I mean, I love pharmacists. This is not like shade at pharmacists, but it's also like in the ER, I don't always have an ER pharmacist or um, Mm -hmm. just like if you have 50 meds, like it's really hard to do those drug interactions manually. So having those on the EMR automatically has been like a huge thing. Um, 
there are some downsides to that, which we're almost there. And then <laughs> one of the really big things that I had never thought of, that I thought was really cool. We're so close to the bad part. I'm like dying. So excited. I'm She's dying. like drumming her fingers yeah. together. She looks like a villain. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, but so research is streamlined through, um, the EMR as well. Um, because you can just sort of find these people who are eligible. You can have like a, a little tracking bar at the top. Are you enrolled in a research study? Are you eligible for research studies? So as far as like advancing science, huge thing, great thing. Amazing. <sighs> are we almost there? Is there anything else that we need to talk about? Boring. All right, those are- I don't care about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Sorry. So I do care. Point, I do actually point care. Being, point being, as far as patient safety, the EMR actually can do some really good stuff. Mm-hmm. But, here's the but, <laughs> there are some unintended consequences of or all int- of these things that are- or intended. Try- uh, Possibly okay. intended. Fair. Fair. Okay. But there are definitely some unintended ones of these things that are designed to increase patient safety are just like- God, I'm I'm like such a nerd. They're just not rooted in good organizational psychology or like human factors, like human behavior. So Mm -hmm. it's supposed to make people safer and it actually fucks everything up. And Abby is so excited that we're going to do this. Abby, you want to start this? Woo! I'm very (laughs) excited. Okay. I'm very excited. All right. Let's go there. I am. Okay. All right. So let's go there right now. All right. I've been waiting for this moment. Okay. So the first thing that I want to talk about, and I think here, okay. I think we all know this, but we haven't, we ha- it hasn't been studied in the past and we haven't really talked about it. We complain about it, but we haven't had it as an actual educational discussion and point with evidence behind it in the past. And so Laura brought these research, research articles to my attention and I thought they were really important. So there is research that is showing that there is a direct impact with healthcare workers and burnout regarding EMR. And I think that is something that everybody has felt in healthcare and something that we have been saying for a very long time that it takes me away from my patients. It doesn't seem relevant. It seems redundant. Um, and then I have to sit there and click boxes instead of actually seeing my patient. My patient hits the call bell. They complain nobody comes in for 10 minutes and it's because I'm on epic charting, right? That's something that we should not be experiencing. If this is really for the patient's benefit, we would not feel this burden, this moral injury, this burnout from this system. So... I think you're totally right. And like one of my favorite graphics, papers, statistics, whatever we've gotten from all this is there was a paper that it was like circulating a lot on social media last year as a paper from 2018 um, that was looking at ICU like caregivers. So all levels, RTs, nurses, doctors, like residents. Um, and I think the statistic that was like most alarming for, for me was for, of, for physicians on an ICU shift, they spend 14.73% of their time on any given shift actually facing the patient, um, Mm -hmm. with something like 41%, uh, in the physician workroom. So presumably charting because the workrooms are not super fun to hang out, hang out in otherwise. And then 44% of their time spent elsewhere. So you're spending all this money to see a doctor and they're spending 14% of their time actually facing you and a lot of the rest of their time charting. And I think nurses, it was like similar, like similarly bad, right? Yeah. um, For nurses, um, they said that 32% of their time on the unit was spent in patient rooms. Um, So, I mean, it just, it, 
the nurse should be, I understand why there's a difference between the doctors and the nurse time. I get that um, because we have less patients and we are more bedside and that's our role. But 32% or, you know, almost 33% is certainly not enough. I mean, that is outrageous to me that that they're only seeing their nurse 33% of the time and their doctor 14 or 15%. So let's run the numbers on that real fast. So if you're in the ICU, you've got two or three patients, right? Ideally two for an ICU nurse probably. So right. you're spending 16% of your shift in any given patient's room. So for a 12-hour shift, oh, God, I really overestimated my ability to do math. What's 16% of 12 hours? It's like less than two hours, less than two hours per patient in an ICU shift. Like you're not even spending two hours in your patient's room for an ICU patient. So you're getting like an ICU bill of thousands. I mean, thousands of dollars. Yeah, I mean. To get less than two hours of nursing care. Right, exactly. I mean, I know that the Medicare, uh, reimbursement for the COVID patient. I just know this because it was like a viral thing is like $30,000, right? Which mm-hmm. I mean, the typical COVID patient, I would, I would gather that actually they, it's more expensive than 30,000, but mm-hmm. that's a different discussion. Um, but let's just say $30,000. I mean, you are certainly not getting the time that you deserve from your, the staff that's there. It's crazy. And like the numbers on, for the doctors are even worse. Like if you assume that an ICU physician, like an ICU attending, I think we had a discussion in our comments recently, the ratios are all over the place, but like we'll have 15 or 16 patients. Sometimes they're spending 15% of their shift in the room. So maybe an hour or two per shift in patients rooms and they have 15 to 16 patients. So again, you're like, and I, we've talked about this before, Abby, like it's not as necessary. Like physicians don't have to be in the room to be engaged in patient care. Like we've talked about this before. We're going to have to do an episode on this because it's actually an interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like you, you need to be there some of the time. Like you need to see the patient. You need to see and, the patient. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, and, yeah. and like the, the EMR is putting so much pressure on charting and having everything done in such a way that you can bill for it or the hospital can bill for it that like patients are getting three hours a day of human contact while they spend. Yeah. You know, and, and meanwhile, I mean, physicians are spending more than twice as much time in the physician workroom. Right. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't make any sense to me. Okay. Yeah. And what we've seen is that this is sort of true across multiple practice settings. Like the, you know, this paper we've been harping on is an ICU study, but like I, I found this in internal medicine outpatient offices. There's 50% of office hours on EHR work plus another couple of hours that are unpaid work at home. I mean, mm-hmm. if you want to talk about physician burnout, let's talk about spending half your time when you want to see patients, spending half your time charting, and then still having to do two more hours when you want to be spending time with your family. Mm-hmm. Or, I, I mean, you know, I, I, I read that study and I thought that that was really interesting because what they were saying was that the doctor's are spending a lot more time because of the EMR on non-patient facing activities, but they are doing patient 
um, record keeping activities. So things like logging telephone encounters and exchanging messages, uh, you know, in Epic, refilling prescriptions, et cetera, right? Letters, scan documents. So the funny thing about that is that's also a problem that nursing faces. Mm -hmm. So again, you know, at this clinic that I worked at, we had no designated nurse. Nobody answered the phone at that place. The front of the house staff who works at the desk and does the insurance and the billing, they did not answer the phone. They were instructed not to because we have patients calling in with clinical concerns. But we did not have a triage, a telephone triage nurse. So it went to an answering service that no one was assigned to. And then every day we would get, I'd say between 20 to 50 calls saying, I need a refill, I need a doctor's note, I need whatever. These calls went completely unanswered. And we're talking mm-hmm. about some of them are neuro page patients who ha- are having seizures. We're talking about people who need refills on Coumadin, all this stuff. So I would have this enormous burden I would wait for people to leave the clinic and I would stay late and I would answer all the, I would do telephone triage Mm -hmm. when nobody was there to interrupt me because it's, and it's like exactly what you're saying. That was, I was not being paid for that, but it was just like, I can't let these messages sit here. What if someone dies? Like it's crazy. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a huge issue. And like, it's interesting because there's a lot of talk about, you know, people practicing to the top of their license and like, Mm -hmm. (sighs) Gaslight, Gaslight Robert or whatever we're calling him. Um, like there's all this talk about, you know, doctors being paid too much. Your teacher, your, my teacher that we're referring to as Gaslight Robert. Like there's all this talk about physicians being paid too much. And I'm just like, let's talk about this shit. Like if you're going to pay me doctor hourly wages to do stuff that is objectively not the top of my license, then yeah, you're paying me too much for this shit. Hire a secretary or a clerk or someone who can do this shit and put them in my office to take care of some of the stuff that is not the top of my license and I can provide more care and then maybe you're you know not quite as mad that I'm only seeing like it's just it's the entire thing is just so nonsensical because it's burning out physicians to do this stuff that's right. not clinical work it's burning out nurses none of mm-hmm. us are practicing at the top of our license when we're doing you know paperwork and all of the shit that could be done by non-clinical or, you know, different, you know, just different levels of provider. It could be done by, you could train, um, people who are more of a, um, like a, like a clinical coordinator or a clerk Mm -hmm. or something like that. You could train them. They are very effective, very smart. I mean, my, my, the people that I worked with in the ICU, I mean, they were like on it. Like they were on the ball. They knew a lot. You could show them how to escalate what to who, when, right? right. And then Absolutely. just ha- handle the other stuff, right? Absolutely. But, and we, but and we have this, we have those people in the ER because you have to have them in the ER. And like, they're amazing. I could not function without them. I cannot right. imagine being a PCP or being in a clinic and like not having someone just help me with these like tasks and still be expected to see this number of patients. Like it's not a reasonable request of physicians, of nurses, of like anybody. You're putting these, like all of these tasks that are not what you actually are trained mm-hmm. to do. And you're, it's yeah. keeping you from patient care. Like you can take care of fewer patients if you have to do all this other shit. It's bad for everybody. It's bad for everybody. And part of that, sorry, this is a little bit, this is a little bit got off the EHR, but it is tied to the EHR because a lot of this stuff does have to be done through the EHR. It's not a logical system. There's a lot of pop-ups. 
So all of this stuff, instead of actually just like paying someone to be the office manager, they're sort of trying to automate a lot of this through the EHR and it's creating a ton of problems. Mm -hmm. So there are a bunch of papers, they'll all be linked. um, But basically, estimates vary. Doctors and nurses spend a ton of time on the EHR charting or looking Mm -hmm. for information or doing like administrative tasks instead of spending time with patients. And that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, uh, I just want to quickly go back to burnout. Like when we're talking about when somebody like your your teacher, Gaslight Rapper, talks to you and says, well, doctors make too much money. The counter to that for nursing is like when we threaten to do like a strike or something like that because the ratios are so bad, the conditions are so bad. And, and you know, in other parts of the country, I can't speak for New York because nurses are paid relatively well here, but in other parts of the country, they are not, like not even close. Um, but isn't it funny that we are showing the significant correlation between burnout and the EMR taking you away from patients because what we are being told a lot of times by the hospital systems themselves and sometimes the public is that we're greedy. But what we're actually saying is it hurts me that I can't care for my patient. It hurts me that I'm on a computer instead of in the room. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, um, where is the study there? Yeah. There was a study, the journal of graduate medical education, 2017, that was, it literally just, was just like, all right, everyone's pissed about this. They just did the study and yes, spending time on charting on the EHR increases. I think this is specifically a physician burnout, but like it's true for everybody. Like we didn't go into this job to get really good at clicking checkboxes. Like, right. Right. Yeah. We I, like I to see patients. For, <laughs> I could have been a exactly. programmer way faster. I did not need to take seven years to do this shit. If all I wanted to do was sit on a computer and check boxes, like, and you might make more money I being probably a, would make more money. yeah, yeah, I definitely yeah. would. Yeah. Especially yeah. in, in New York, there's startups, they're starting you at over a hundred thousand dollars here. And like, yeah, if I want to be on a computer and make money, I'll just do that. I'm not greedy. Yeah. I like patients. <laughs> yeah. Um, so wait, Laura, I, I know you made your outline and I, you know, read, that's in quotes, um, I read all of your um, articles, but Uh you said that you didn't send me all of them because you wanted to read one to me. So this sounds like the opportunity for a dramatic reading and I'm really (laughs) excited about it. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, I think this is, there's one more thing I want to talk about to lead us into it and then I'm going to read you this article because it's really okay. I'm just like, okay. I just want to take screenshots of Abby's face while we do this. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably so going excited. to actually. I'm very <laughs> okay. So basically, you know, we've talked a lot about how the HR is bullshit. It takes a lot of time away from patient care. So one of the things that a lot of doctors have started doing is paying prescribes um, because you literally just can't like you can't spend time with your patient and also finish your charts and have a good life and do all this shit. So doctors have started just either some physician groups or hospitals will pay prescribes. I actually know a lot of doctors that will pay scribes personally. They'll be like, fuck it. I'll take the 20 or $30 an hour because it just makes my life that much better. And they'll just pay for scribes to come in out of their, like out of their own pocket. And there's like, you know, we'll, we'll do the literature on them real fast. Scribes are helpful. You know, they increase RVUs by oh, 10.5%. Oh. So this is where we start to get into the billing oh. shit. Billing is oh. mostly going to be the next episode because this is going to go fucking forever. I'm going to anyway, freak out. Point- 
Yeah. My, so... my blood is boiling. <laughs> this is our teaser for next week's episode. Uh, come back to listen to us bitch Ooh. about billing. Might not be next week. Might be the week after. Because I might, I might split these because it's like a lot. It's heavy. Anyway, if you want to hear us bitch about billing and fee-for-service medicine, teaser. Anyway, <laughs> so scribes are super helpful as far as increasing physician billing. There's like some literature that suggests they pay for themselves because you can see so many more patients and, and do such a good job. And the charts are better when you have someone else taking your notes for you. So like it, it increased patients per hour by 8.8% in one study. Scribes are great. Okay. They increase mm-hmm. patient facing time by 50%, decrease computer time by 27%. Okay, I mean, great. Love that. That's pretty, that's actually pretty cool. I like that. Right, right. And like, this is, I'm like trying not to get into the billing stuff too much now, but basically the reason that people like these is because you finish your charts on time. You can bill high level charts. You can get paid to the maximum possible for each patient if the scribes do your charts for you. Um, so the one that I really like (laughs) is an article from efficientmd.com. The premise is, I'm so excited for this. The premise is, should patients be their own scribes? And the entire, the the trouble with this is like, it actually makes a little bit of sense is the problem. Okay. So I'm going to skim this article for you. Okay. Um, All right. Go ahead. This part's not important. So, Imagine a scenario, I'm quoting now, imagine a scenario where patients who are waiting to be seen in the emergency department are initiating their own workup prior to being seen by a provider. After being triaged, each patient is instructed to download an app which allows them to start inputting information regarding the details of their chief complaint. The program would use simple language to elicit details regarding their presenting (laughs) issues. I really, I really hope we're videoing this because your reactions are amazing. Sorry. Um, (laughs) For example, if someone is presenting to the emergency department for abdominal pain, they would select abdominal pain from a drop-down menu of chief complaint options. This would trigger a series of additional drop-down menus specific to said complaint. For example, there would be a location tab that brings up a picture of an abdomen and asks the patient to point to the location of their pain. They would then select options from the severity tab, duration tab, etc. Once they filled it out, they would submit it to the EMR. There could be an additional free text option where patients could write additional information they feel is relevant um after the after the patient submits their information the emr would construct a preliminary hpi for the provider to review there would be an abdominal pain template that simply plugs in the relevant information provided by the patient for example gives an example um With such a system, the provider would have all of these details prior to walking into the exam room. The patient interaction will be streamlined as the provider only needs to confirm these details rather than having to elicit them from scratch. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. So. Uh, uh, Okay. There's so many comments. There's so many comments. You know what? We're going to put, we're going to, we need to start our Patreon anyway. I think this needs to be our first (laughs) video episode on Patreon because I really can't. (laughs) <laughs> I really wish you guys had seen Abby's reactions. Like I was like getting distracted from the article because Abby's like having a seizure basically. <laughs> okay, wait, hold on, hold on. Let me ask. I need to, I, I have a couple of clarifying questions first. Okay, yeah. So, so are we saying that our patients are going to be billed to come into our office and we are going to put them to work? first yeah Yeah, that's exactly that's what i love about this it's like oh yeah so patients are gonna do their own hpi and you're gonna walk in and be like poke 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 
poke, poke, okay. listen, listen. Okay. That'll be $2,000, please. Like really, like you're not even doing the note, but the software is built to bill for a level five chart, which is the highest level chart that you can bill for. Oh my God. So you're going to charge, you're basically tricking the patient into doing your charting so that you can charge them as much as humanly possible for the visit oh that God. you didn't even do the chart for. Like what oh the my fuck? God. I'm dying. I'm dying. Okay. Wait. Also, this is so, first of all, it's so culturally incompetent. What if the person doesn't, if English is not their first language, right? So okay. I actually think that could be helpful of like, you could probably get this built out in every language. Like th- that's the trouble with this is like, this is actually not a terrible idea. If we were not in a fever service system, if you're just like, oh, like you already have all this built out. You've asked every question in a language. The patient understands they have time to think about it. Like if it weren't for the fact that the point of charting is to get paid, Right. This isn't a terrible idea. This could really streamline your workflow. I could order imaging from the waiting room if you've already filled this out. This could be a great thing, but it's designed that doctors get paid for the patients oh, doing their own work. Oh no. Oh no. Oh, this is evil. Now the okay. Yeah, this, this is, is some like dystopian bullshit. Like, yeah, it re- it's I'm like, like it almost yeah. works. It almost sounds like a good idea. And then you're like, what the fuck? Here, okay. Here, here's how that still, even let's say it's not fee for service it still would have to be an add-on, like bonus information that the patient is providing you. And yeah, might make your workflow easier. But the fact that you're taking what they said and and pulling it into their medical record and then kind of editing it and making it a doctor's note, that is not okay. They are not trained in healthcare. They are not, you can have supplemental information from the patient. I don't think that's a bad idea. And like a computer, like a user-friendly way to do that, to do like a pre-screen or something, great idea. But to have it translate into something that your office should be providing is not okay. And that's sort of where this gets weird for me because like, you know, I was reading this and I was like, from thinking about this as an ER doctor who I'm like, I have to triage. I'm putting in, if I'm super busy, like there are times I put in labs and imaging on people who are out in the waiting room because like, otherwise they're going to be waiting 16 hours. Is mm-hmm. that ideal? No. Like ideally I should see every patient, examine every patient before I put in Im- like anything. And that's just not possible some of the time. Like that's just not how medicine works. In this um, system, in the this way system, it is now. The way it is yeah. right now. So you know, having more information on these patients more than just like a, you know, a one-line triage, like actually would be really helpful. Like if it's a good be thing. Like, yeah. This would actually be like a huge thing for me in the ER of like, oh, like this is exactly where it hurts. This is how long it's been. Like, you know, if it could ask sort of a lot of these qu- clarifying questions, that would be amazing. Like I could actually start their work up a lot faster, especially now, like our ER wait times are like eight hours minimum pretty much across the country. Like this could actually be a huge thing if you could go ahead and have some stuff done before I see the patient. Great. Then my immediate reaction to that was like, okay, but then the patient's still going to get billed the same, even if I don't do the documentation work. But then at the same time, why the, like, why the fuck are we in a situation where I'm getting paid for my documentation and not my doctoring? Like, that's right. not the point. That's not right. what I'm here for. Like my medical expertise yeah. is not in doc. Well, it is in documentation. It shouldn't be like, why mm-hmm. is all of this tied to documentation? Like why yeah. does any of this matter? Like, Oh, um, well, I have a feeling we're going to get into it on the next episode. Exactly. Why? 
I'm we're very, gonna, I'm very fired up, but I'm very fired up because it's now we're going to start talking about money. So the other things for next time, uh, alarm fatigue, everyone's favorite component of the EHR. Mm-hmm. How many of the pop-up boxes that you get on a daily basis do you ignore? We have statistics. Come back for statistics. Or don't, I don't care. No, we care <laughs> and they like it. I know that like yeah. we feel sub- self-conscious about it because we're like, oh, we're big dorks, but like people like this, right? I'm- we let this off by talking about Greek mythology. Like there's no redeeming us. I think it's fine. I think we're awesome. I, I think we're hilarious. Anyway, so come back next time. We'll talk more about all the shit and um, yeah, it'll be fun. That's it. We'll also talk- I'll, I'll find another Greek god for you or something. <gasps> No, we're going to do some kind of like statue to Sinistra. What is her name? Sinistra. What's her Nemesis. name? Nemesis. 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 Yeah. <laughs> and then we'll talk about how the NBC logo is, root- logo is rooted in Hera. All right. For next time. No. Oh, no. <laughs> for next time. Wait. Hera is, is that Egypt? Hera was the queen of the Greek gods. Ugh. She's. Come on. All, All right. right. I have to go do some remediation with Abby. We'll be back <laughs> All next right. Time. Bye. Bye.